Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Welcome back to episode 320 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. In today's episode, we have a wonderful guest, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. She's a world-renowned relationship expert and couples therapist and host of the hit podcast, Reimagining Love, and the author of two award-winning books, Taking Sexy Back and Loving Bravely. I just finished Loving Bravely and it was wonderful. I highly recommend it. Together, we'll be discussing common challenges couples face in their sex lives, the connection between love and sex, creating safe spaces for sexual exploration, effective communication around desires and preferences, overcoming body insecurities, and so much more, all in just 30 minutes. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by FirmTech. Their innovative FirmTech ring is designed to improve performance and sexual experience for all men, not just those with erectile dysfunction. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to learn more about their groundbreaking product. And don't forget to use the promo code MOALI20 for a 20% discount at myfirmtech.com. Now let's dive into our conversation with Dr. Solomon. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Alexandra Solomon to our show. Dr. Alexandra, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Dr. Nazanin. Glad to be here with you. I am very excited about this conversation. I know you have your wonderful podcast, Reimagining Love, and you're a published author. And I was just sharing with you just before we started the conversation, I saw you speak in a a conference a few years ago, which was very powerful and moving. So we're doing a new season on psychology of relationships. That's something that many of our listeners, they requested. And I love that in your book, Loving Bravely, you emphasize the importance of relationship between love and sex. Can you tell us more about how these things, are they supposed to be hand in hand or we can have good sex and relationship without loving our partner? What do you think about that? Yeah, I, you know, I think perhaps similar to your journey with our field, as a licensed clinical psychologist and somebody who trained extensively in the area of marriage and family therapy, you know, I grew up really with the sense that like the people who are talking about relationships are over here in one side of the world and the people who are talking about sex are over here in the other side of the world. And I think that split between, you know, those who look at relationships and those who look at sex probably, in, you know, that, that exists within our field probably reflects or mirrors the larger public conversation about we can either talk about love or we can talk about sex. I think that we are all sort of collectively struggling to see how do these two together. And I think that they, they fit together in different ways, you know, for different people at different moments in their relationships. But I know that the thing, the way that I was trained as a clinician was that my job as a couples therapist was to help people talk better to each other, talk more nicely to each other, talk more effectively to each other. And then if we did a good enough job with that, the sex would follow. 
And so even when I was training to be a couples therapist, this was, you know, sex was really put on the back burner. And I think, again, reflecting just how collectively ignorant, afraid, confused we are about sex. And from working with couples is that sexual problems don't tend to resolve on their own. And and certainly there are there are ways in which what happens outside of the bedroom affects what happens inside the bedroom. But what happens inside the bedroom then, you know, can kind of like grow and enhance the relationship outside of the bedroom. So I I'm really committed to helping us look holistically at intimate partnerships because that is, you know, that is one of the things that makes an intimate partnership, a, a marriage or a dating relationship, what sets it apart from friendship and the and the other relationships that we have is that that is the space where where we are cultivating our relationship with the erotic. So, you know, and I think there are couples who can love each other very much and struggle mightily around sex. I think that there are lots of people who could tell us stories about incredible sexual experiences they have with people they don't feel in love with. So certainly they don't have to go hand in hand. But what we know about couples, especially monogamous couples and couples who've been together for a while and who want to be together, is that really they do need to be active and proactive about cultivating their erotic relationships. I agree with you that definitely seeing couples that are living together for years, they're wonderful roommates, but they don't have the sexual spark. But I, I've seen very few couples in long-term monogamous relationship when the relationship is struggling, that they continue to have great sex. It's usually when the things outside the bedroom is not going well, it certainly impacts your sexual connection because part of having great sexual experiences is being vulnerable and open and when you're feeling hurt and misunderstood, that's that's hard to do. And I, I love that you are kind of look, looking, having this holistic approach, because I, I don't know how you can do a couple's therapy without talking about sex and intimacy, or you can do sex therapy and not talk about the relationship. These things are very connected. Just you see a lot of different types of people. I bet that you see some similarities in their challenges. What are just some of the most common challenges that couples face, the ones that you see in your practice around sex and intimacy? I do want to share, you were talking about how it's hard to imagine a couple that is thriving sexually while being problem-saturated outside of the bedroom. And I was immediately thinking of a couple that I worked with many, many years ago at this point, and they they were steeped in problems. They had so many problems, you know, in in-law problems and parenting problems and financial problems. And it was I was getting to know them and kind of mapping out all these challenges. And of course, I was asking them about their sexual relationship and they were like, we make love every day. And I was like, really stumped because I was like, but you've got contempt and you've got the." And so I was like, can you tell me? I was really hard to even know what the next question would be because I was so struck by this. And I was like, can you just tell me more? And they were, they were confused. They were like, we don't, we don't understand. Like, of course we have sex every day. Like, yes, we've got problems, but why would we not be having sex every day? And I was like, okay, this is going to be an interesting therapeutic process because it just stood out in contrast to what happened the, you know, the vast majority of the time, which is, as you were saying, that if it's, if it's difficult to feel safe and vulnerable, and that is not gendered, right? I think that is, that is true for folks, you know, across any gender spectrum that we want to, that, that without at least a foundation of safety and vulnerability, it's very hard to, to feel playful. We can certainly go through the motions and be a bit robotic, but it's really hard to feel present and playful and expressive for sure. But in terms of your question about common challenges, you know, when I'm sitting with a couple, I'm thinking about their, their dynamics as both the music 
and the lyrics. So the lyrics, you know, is is the topic, the what of what they're having conflict about. And that tends to be, you know, the whatever big four or five parenting, in-laws, money, sex, domestic labor, I guess it's five, big five. Those are the topics, right? Where smart minds differ, you know, things feel unfair. There's just sort of a daily grind to it, you know? So that's that's the lyrics. But then the music is is really where the action lies, right? Of understanding what are the patterns? What are the cycles? What are the dynamics? Because in that way, it doesn't really matter what the topic is. There are still questions around, do you see me? Is my perspective valid? You know, do you respect who I am as a person? Do you have my back? Like those are kind of the form, you know, like the the form or the music behind the fight. And so that's so much of couples work, right, is is taking the the fight of the week or the conflict of the week and really like understanding the anatomy of it and getting to what what is beneath this argument about the toilet paper or about, you know, your mother. <laughs> I agree with you. That is, it feels like oh, when, when we're talking about things non-related to sex, when people coming for sex therapy, we're talking about the same themes and same stories. Then I know in, in your book, you talk about that it's connected to our childhood stories and templates around kind of what love's supposed to look like, what relationships look like. So I think it's really powerful when you, when you invite the readers to kind of look into their kind of recognizing and naming the stories because sometimes people feel like that that was in the past and I want to kind of like look at it but somehow it shows up in our intimate relationship outside the bedroom and inside the inside the bedroom and I think one of the challenges that people have is difficult to talk about kind of like their sexual needs what's happening and part of it is just they don't feel comfortable with their partner and I know that one of the topics you talk a lot about is on relational kind of self-awareness, relational safety. So how can we cultivate that in our relationship? Well, I'm really, I'm really curious your thoughts on this as well, because I do, I mean, where the heck are any of us supposed to have learned how to talk about sex with our partner? That is certainly was not part of my sex, was not part of my sex education, was not part of my teenagers sex education you know it just really isn't it's not something that we that we learn and then even if we have some relationship role models some of us are lucky enough to have elders in our family or family friends that we you know grew up being able to observe when we were children that maybe serve as our relationship role models and they kind of model for us patience you know respect of mutuality they probably were not our role models in terms of how we don't, we hopefully don't have any clue how they talk about their erotic life together, right? So we we come into our adult intimate relationships without very much skill or savvy at all about talking about sex, even though the research shows that couples who can talk about sex end up having the best sex and communication is essential, right? Because how, by what means would I possibly know what you want or how you want it or what's feeling good to you? And so I feel like I spend a lot of time giving couples permission to just, well, first of all, normalize and validate that talking about sex for lots of couples can be challenging. So I think what gets so when, when something is hard for us in our relationships or our marriages, we start to think something's wrong with us. We get pretty confused pretty quickly between it's hard versus we're broken or we're wrong or something's wrong with one of us. So the first thing I do is normalize and validate that that sex is difficult to talk about. And then and then I really want couples to have a ton of permission about how they have those conversations, right? The little baby, what's the little baby edge of the conversation? And and what and what 
format might you use to, to kind of help your walls come down? Might it be email? Might it be little notes back and forth? Might I met a couple one time that uses puppets to talk about sex. So they added this element of play to kind of disarm them, right? And so that's, I am here for couples by any means necessary, you know, creating a process for which they can talk about something that can be vulnerable. And it's vulnerable because we are self-conscious perhaps about what we want. And it's vulnerable because we don't want to hurt our partner. We don't want our partner to feel, or hopefully, we don't want our partner to feel criticized or belittled, you know, by us. So many great points. And I love the puppet idea. And I think like one of the important piece is to have relational safety, right? Kind of feeling that, okay, I feel safe enough in my relationship. Because if outside the bedroom, we're constantly criticizing each other, like stonewalling, we don't, we haven't seemed like haven't cultivated that environment overall in the relationship. So as, as you mentioned, talking about sex is so much harder because it's taboo. We don't have the template. So if we have those challenges, it's even be, it will be more difficult for us to even have this conversation. And I think one of the important things for people to keep in mind is whatever you're into, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a galaxy of different preferences, different ways that people find sexy. I think it's important to talk about it as an invitation because sometimes people are scared that if my partner brings this, now I must do that. So that, that gets in the way of people being really showing up to talking about these things with our partners. Those are really wonderful points. And it's also, as you're saying that, it's a reminder that if and when our partner gives us a little window into what they want, what they're longing for, to just hold that as sacred. I think I see this oftentimes. I'm going to do a little gender generalization, but I think sometimes, especially women who are partnered with men, based on based on their own stuff, perhaps if a male partner kind of opens up about something, even if it's something vulnerable about their erections or about, you know, kind of the changes in their own bodies, I think sometimes it can be hard for female partners to really hold that, but just to know that it's, and, and some, you know, a partner may, whatever, giggle or kind of diminish it or dismiss it because of their own discomfort. And so as you were talking about our preferences being this, like being this galaxy and then an ask being an invitation and a demand, I think it's also when our, if our partners might take a risk and share something with us, can we be, can we ground ourselves? Can we just take a deep breath and kind of hold that with some sacredness, even if it creates some discomfort, some tension, some nervousness, some embarrassment inside of us, like just knowing that a sexual share is probably the most vulnerable share or potentially the most vulnerable share of them all. And so if our partner is going to do that, share something and really like regulate ourselves so that we can receive it and hear it and hold it and, and work with it. Wonderful point. And sometimes because people are like holding on to this information for so long and it's connected with their them also feeling shameful, sometimes we bring it up at odd times. Now at times that might not be ideal or my, our partner might not have the openness in that moment to receive it. And as a result, intentionally, there, people might experience a rupture. So if, if we experienced that rupture in the past, like maybe we had a share and our partner got reactive or they got defensive or dismissive, how do you invite people 
to do the repair? Is is even the repair possible? Oof, it's a great question. Right. I mean, the number of times in my life that I've handled a difficult moment exactly the right way <laughs> in real time, it's a pretty small number. I frequently ask for redos and do-overs, you know, with my kids and with my husband. So I'm here. I am here for relational do-overs. And that is part, you know, all of my work is about relational self-awareness, really noticing and taking responsibility for our own responses. And that does not mean get stuff right the first time, because as, as we're saying, we have our own history, especially around sexuality, that might lead us to be reactive or dismissive or embarrassed. Da, 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 da. So we don't have to get it right the first time, but we do have to develop the capacity to notice that our response doesn't fit with who we want to be as a partner, doesn't fit with our mutual goal for relational safety. So then can we be humble enough and brave enough to say, can I have a redo? Can I have a redo? I was thinking, I was thinking about our conversation and you shared something that maybe was hard for you to share. Maybe you waited a really long time to share it. And maybe it was not the opportune time because I was up to my elbows in dishes or emails, whatever. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I I want to have responded differently and better. So I'd like to have a do-over. You know, I think that's 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 a great way. I mean, I think ideally a repair happens because I recognize that I didn't show up the way that I wanted to. It can be a bit harder if you come back to me and you're like, hey, Alexandra, I shared a vulnerable thing to with you. You got reactive or you shut me down and now I feel hurt. But if it goes that way, then again, can I be humble enough and brave enough to say, okay, Dr. Nazanin, all right, try me again. I want to do it. I want to see if I can do right by you this time. You know, so sometimes so repair can be initiated by either the person who did harm or the person who was harmed, right? There's two avenues into repair. But the person who did harm, you know, through a dismissive response or a reactive response, the person who did harm is not a bad person, right? It's not about the quality of who you are as a person. It's about the chance that you missed an opportunity to help your partner feel safe. And because you value that, your partner values it. Can you be brave enough to try a repair? I love all all you said in that sentence. And I think that's really important to know that everyone at times makes mistakes. And I think one of the also important thing you mentioned is kind of like reflecting on what kind of a person you want to be. Like what what are some of the what are you, what are the relational values that you have? Going back to the family of origin things, I remember in my family that like whenever my dad was bringing up things to my mom, my mom was a master of kind of like bringing up like, but you did this the other time and she's a writer and she has great <laughs> language ability. So early on in my marriage, I felt like I can play that game. <laughs> I'm really good at talking about telling the stories, but is it going to help us to feel connected? And how do I feel about it, right? Like I feel like doing my, going through my own therapy and through my work, I, I know like, you know, at times I have awareness that this is, this is not helpful, but I think it's important to keep ourselves honest with kind of like, okay, is, is that aligned with who I want to be or not? And then if not, then maybe I can ask for a redo. And I, and I think it's so important, as you mentioned, don't think about like you're, you're a bad person, like, but you're taking accountability because you want to have a, a certain kind of relationship. Yep. Very well said. Yeah. The other thing that you brought up that was fantastic was around our insecurities. And I think it's really connected to our, how are we showing up sexually? Many people are kind of like play, playing it quote unquote safe because they just don't want to do something that's novel or new and feels vulnerable because they feel insecure in their bodies. 
how do you recommend people to kind of like cultivate more confidence? Oh, I think this is, I think this is a really incredibly tender issue. And I think my goal for all couples is that they get to play together. You know, they get to express together sexually. They get to try new things together sexually because they take themselves lightly, right? There's, there's, I think that what I, I, so many of us, I think no matter our gender, so much, so many of us have very serious, heavy relationships with our bodies. You know, we are, you know, we're really critical of our bodies, where our curves are, where our curves aren't, the size of things, the shape of things, the firmness or softness of things. So many of us have this ongoing highly critical narrative about our bodies and our bodies are precisely the place where erotic play happens, right? And so one of the things that can really hold us back is I'm scared to try that, not necessarily even because of how it feels, but because of how I might look, you know, trying that or how my partner might see me that what Masters and Johnson called spectatoring, right? Like sort of looking, leaving our bodies and looking at it from above. And so what I love is when couples can together just kind of name that, just put it out there that we don't look like the people in pornography or the people in romantic comedies, the people in that. We don't look like that. But in some ways, thank goodness we don't because we get to look like us and we get to have this experience together. So I think that's what we're to me, confidence, sexual confidence is not it, it's not about how you perform or how you look when you're doing something. It, it, it's, it comes from a deep, deep well of self-compassion and like relational compassion mixed in with a healthy dose of humor. <laughs> so, so important to kind of be playful because sometimes we, we kind of like think about sex needs to look certain way. And if I was straying away from that script, then there's something wrong with us or with our partner or we're not doing it right. But in what I'm hearing that you're talking about more of an embodiment, kind of like paying attention, what shows up for you and how does it feel? And how are you guys like this? How are you guys connecting erotically? That's that's really important. And you know what's interesting? I work with lots of cisgender heterosexual couples and sometimes I know people give feedback about their partner's body that that can be very painful. And I think that also would be in place for people to to kind of like ask for a redo. So I think that's that's also a really important conversation. And I, you know, one thing I love that you do in your page, it's just very powerful. You give people tools and strategies to talk about things that are very difficult. So if our if we're, there's something in our partner that we don't like and we want to ask for a change, what would be a good way of bringing that up? Boy, this part about criticizing our partner's bodies is so, I mean, I, I hate that I have to keep doing and you have to keep doing education about this, but I, you want to shut somebody down sexually, you want to like tank your sexual relationship, criticize your partner's body, right? Like that's, and I think, I think there's, there's all kind. I think for our cis, hetero couples, I think if, if somebody has lived all their lives as a man, I don't, they, they cannot, there's no way they can fully comprehend just what it's like to have been raised as a girl and a woman and how, and how much the culture objectifies us and how much we then go on to objectify ourselves. And so if he makes a comment about whatever it is, you've gained a little weight or what about working out more? It is like, it can be, I'm not speaking for all women, but it can be just to the bone. And it is, and it's going to have the effect of shutting her down because it is just a reflection of what she's saying to herself all the time anyways. So whenever I think, whenever we have a criticism about, about our partner's body, that is a massive invitation for us to look at what's going on inside of ourselves. Why? 
what is threatening to me about my partner's change? What is the narrative inside of me about the kind of body I'm entitled to? Or might I benefit from deconstructing or reimagining sexual attraction? Why is sexual attraction based on how many pounds on the scale you weigh versus how your body feels wrapped up with my body, right? So a criticism about our partner's body is in the vast majority of situations of an invitation to look at ourselves. What's the what's going on inside of us that we are that we are directing our attention out there? Now, certainly, if our partner is grossly neglecting their their body and it is impairing their health, that's a different kind of conversation. But as you're mentioning, you know, these in our straight couples, there can just be. And I think with women to men too, women. I think part of part, you know, traditionally part of what it is to be a woman is to tend to your male partner, to feed him, to make his. Some women I know make their husband's doctor's appointments or kind of manage their care. It's like part of that caregiver role for women. So it's a very thin line or a slippery slope from I'm in charge of making sure you are healthy to then I get to comment on when you are gaining a little bit of weight or when you are not working out enough. And I think that it might be easy for a woman to underestimate the power of her critique of her husband's body. So just yeah, I think that's, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think we don't talk about that nearly enough about how our feelings about our partner's bodies say a lot more about us than it, they do about what's going on. I agree with you. And I think those can create a major rupture in the relationship because you're right that it's, it's a vulnerability for many cisgender women growing up in a diet culture constantly. And it, I feel it's even courageous to step in to your self when you're different than what's quote unquote considered sexy. So when couples, when people make those comments, then that can really create a rupture. And I think that's, that's very helpful to keep in mind. And if your goal is to have more sexual experiences that are connecting, that that conversation might do the opposite of it. And I love that you brought up, it's an indicator for you to think about what, what is happening or what, what are you going what, what you're, you're going in and what's the stories that you're showing up for you around sex and certain kind of body and certain kind of partners. So I think those those were all excellent points. I have a lot of questions, but I know you talk a lot about a lot of these things on your show and your content. So if people are interested to learn more about you, uh, what are some of the places that they can go to? Well, the easiest place to to get to know me and my work better is my website, which is just dralexandrasolomon.com. And when you get there, you will see a blog with hundreds of articles and you can kind of play around on the blog. Another really great way to get to know me is my podcast that you mentioned before, Reimagining Love, which is a weekly show. And half the time I have guests on and we're in conversation about a variety of relationship topics. And half the time, I'm creating solo episodes that are just me, you know, kind of talking through a topic, whether it's, you know, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. What does it mean if you say right person, wrong time? You know, a relational conversation about jealousy. Like we, we cover a lot of different kind of relational conundrums in those solo episodes. And then I'm also active on social media. So on Instagram at dr.alexandra.solomon. Two books, Reimagining Love and Taking Sexy Back. A third book coming out a few months down the road and e-courses. There's lots, there's lots. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, I, I follow your Instagram. I read your book. I think they're all great, great resources. So I invite our, our listeners to go ahead and check them out. And and I'm sure they're going to get tons of great information from, from the, all of these wonderful ways that 
you share this information with others. Dr. Alexandra, thank you so much for coming in the show. This was certainly a treat. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to get to know you and spend a little bit of time together. Thank you. That's wrap up our insightful discussion with Dr. Alexandra Salomon, where we delve into overcoming self-consciousness and insecurities around our bodies during sex. Remember, cultivating self-compassion, open communication, and vulnerability with your partner can help you build confidence and feel more at ease in your sexual experiences. Embrace your unique body and share your desires and concern with your partner to foster a deeper connection and more fulfilling sex life. Before we go, let's not forget our amazing sponsor, FirmDeck, and their innovative tech ring. As part of my partnership with them, I got two different rings. One was performance ring and one was a tech ring, which blew my mind. The tech ring offers a unique and intriguing approach to improve your sexual experiences. It's very easy to use. You can just charge it, download the FirmTech app and pair it with your device. Then what you need to do is wrap the ring securely around your penis with one loop around your shaft and the other around your balls. The tech ring will record data throughout the night, which can access in the morning via the app. So if you're wondering what would be the use of that, it's really, really helpful to have that information. Recording your erections at night can be incredibly helpful in understanding your erectile health. By monitoring your erection during night, you can gain insights into the possible causes of any erectile difficulties you might experience. This information can help you and your healthcare provider develop a targeted treatment plan to address any underlying issues and optimize your sexual performance. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to use the promo code MOALI20 for a 20% discount. Head over to myfirmtech.com. Until next time, stay curious and embrace your sexuality. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.